Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. Thank you so much for joining me here on the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Today we have a great show. We're going to be talking about school choice, yes, but really is the choice how much school do you need, I think. Uh, But my guest is Hannah Frankman, and she is the founder of Rebel Educator. Hannah grew up homeschooled, skipped college to cut her teeth in the startup world, and has been living and breathing alternative education ever since. She's a regular writer, speaker, and commentator on education innovation, and she's also a Hazlitt Fellow at the Foundation for Economic Education and an instructor at the Objective Standard Institute and a writing coach and a career coach. You do a lot of stuff. Uh, I do. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me, Hannah. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. I'm excited to be here. So this is a a passion of mine. I was once the uh, CEO and president of a charter school, which they're much harder to start than you'd think. And I'm about to start uh, join a homeschooling board for an organization here in Indiana. And I'm, I'm passionate about educational choice. I'm going to start educating my kids very soon. But I'll be honest, I was public schooled, Hannah. I It was easy. I went to a great school. I loved my experience in Plainfield. But I have no idea where to get started when it comes to what I ought to do with my, uh, my kids and homeschooling. Are you the person that will help me figure that out over at Rebel Educator? I hope so. That's <laughs> that's the idea behind what we're doing. There are so many parents who are in the same shoes as you where they had a, a broad array of types of experiences in public school. Some of them had really good experiences. Some of them had very mediocre or bad experiences, but all of them kind of sense that there's something better out there for their kids, but they have no idea where to start. And it's really hard. Um, there's it, It's hard to find information on on what's out there. And there are a lot of resources. There are a lot of not just homeschool resources, but alternative schools that people are building and different programs that you can send your kids to. But if you don't know somebody who's already doing it, it's really hard to know where to start. So that's that's the problem that I'm trying to help solve. I want to make it as easy as possible for parents to say, you know what, I don't really want my kids in the public system. And I know what else is out there in terms of options. And I know what my first steps are. Yeah, my wife was homeschooled. She's the oldest of 11. My mother-in-law has a down pat. But I see so many of my friends who are now like high school friends who are getting their kids out of public education because of the last three years. And they're sort of flailing. Uh, so if I guess let's let's start with what are the first steps that you ought to take if you've made the decision that you don't want to send your kids to a public school and you want to explore alternative education, what are some things that you start thinking about first and ought to do? Yeah, well, first of all, congratulations, because if you've made it there, you've already made it through the hard part, like wrapping your head around the fact that the system is broken and there are other options and that you are capable of delivering those options is 100% the hardest part. Most people get stuck somewhere along that process. So you're already way ahead of the game. Um, And honestly, the first thing to do is to stop and take a really deep breath because it's going to feel really scary to be pulling your kids out of the system. And I promise you are way more equipped to do it than society tells you you are. Like You don't have to be an education expert to do a great job teaching your kids. The fact that you don't know everything is a feature, not a bug. Um, Like your kids are going to watch you figure it out and they're going to learn some of the most valuable life skills of their entire childhood from watching you figure it out. And that's, that's a good thing. So you definitely don't have to have all the answers. 
But if you're if you're homeschooling your kids, the very first thing I would say is like make sure you familiarize yourself with the the legalese of your state and what's actually required in terms of homeschooling because it's really different state by state. Um, there's a lot of variance in education laws across the board. What what is the um, edu- what is the organization that kind of tracks that? I forget their like uh, national organization that kind of helps you figure out if you're a green state, blue, red state, yellow state. Honestly, I would just Google like okay. uh, the the homeschool laws and regulations in your home state because there are a lot of people like homeschooling's been around for a while. There are a lot of people who have done a lot of research and compiled a lot of resources and a lot of states have like a state-based expert who's put everything together from the parent's perspective on like here's the paperwork you need to file, here's who you need to talk to. So I I delve into that first. Um but I'd also think about like, okay, why are you homeschooling your kid? Like, what is public school not offering that you want your child to receive in terms of education? And and I would start the thought process around like how you're designing a curriculum based off of that. Like, what what do you want? What do you value in your kid's education? Where what type of human do you want them to be when they turn eighteen and they're going out and embarking into the real world? And then you can kind of reverse engineer, well, I want my kid to be a really great problem solver, or I want my kid to be a critical thinker, and I don't want them to just assume that whatever they're being told by an authority figure is correct. Um, I want my kid to be really entrepreneurial. Like, whatever that value is, that's kind of going to dictate the sorts of things you you expose your kid to. Um, and you can really design a, a curriculum from there. But I also would say, like, there really isn't one size fits all answer because it, it kind of varies based on age range. Like, I imagine if, if you're if you're homeschooling, you probably have young kids that are just getting started in their school careers. Or are you pulling them out of school? Yeah. I, well, so my stepdaughter is three, so we're okay. we're not we're not there yet. And the arrangement with her dad means she'll probably go to public school. Um, but we have one on the way. Uh, and Congratulations. Thank you. And that child will definitely be homeschooled. And so that's an intimidating thing for me. And, you know, I was talking with I'm so impressed with my brothers and sisters in laws, uh, because even though they're young, they have such a depth of knowledge. And there doesn't seem to be like a structure like I just always imagined my my cousin was homeschooled. And so like she had like a classroom and had a curriculum and my aunt sat down and taught her. And it was like very structured. And she didn't do as much social stuff, I don't think. Um, but then, you know, my wife's brothers and sisters and wife, like, had a very sort of, uh, maybe the term's unschooled, I'm not totally solid on what that, exactly that is, but, you know, they, they sort of teach themselves, like, they get really into what they're into, and you could sit and talk to Ethan about history. I'm always like, yeah, I'm gonna really blow this 13 year old away with this historical fact and i'm like yeah did you know that this happened he's like well actually these 15 things happened blah, blah. i'm like ah they're, they're so well educated and and it's sort of self-directed and the thing about my mother-in-law is that they're very intentional about what they're teaching their kids and taking them to cultural experiences and they're like putting thought into it i had great parents but my parents didn't do that they didn't think about what I was being taught, they thought, did you get your homework done? Uh, so I was, I didn't have values instilled in me from an educational perspective. And I, I think that kind of ill-suited me compared to my wife and, and her siblings. Yeah, the the amount of 
there are so many different flaws of the the traditional education system as we know it, but two of the ones that bother me the most are one, the fact that so much time is wasted in a kid's day. Like it's so incredibly inefficient and unproductive. Hannah, I and watch kids- a bus pull up at 5.57 in the morning across the street and I'm working, right? And then at 5.25 in the evening, that, that bus drops that kid off. And they're probably eight, eight, nine years old. It's it shocks me when I see little kids like kindergartners getting on a school bus. It always blows my mind because they look they're so little and you're sending them off into this this fluorescently lit institution for the day. It's so strange. But like, what are kids doing in those? That's like 12 hours that that kid's gone. What what is he doing all day? Like, (laughs) it's not efficient at all. And so like kids, all their time is being wasted, but they're also learning that learning is terrible. That education sucks. That it's really it's unpleasant. so boring. Exactly, and so kids like when they're left to their own devices, they become like your, like your, like Ethan. I think you said his name was who is so excited to learn all of this stuff because he's naturally curious and he can just tumble down rabbit holes and go find interesting historical facts about the parts of history he finds interesting. And kids who are sent to school all day, like they were born with that same innate desire to learn, but they've had it completely crushed because they've been trained to think that learning is terrible. And so like when you leave kids to their own devices, and obviously this comes with a lot of caveats about like, yes, they need some structure. Yes, they need some modeling. It totally depends on the nature of the kid and the the nature of the, the family and the household. But generally speaking, if you leave kids to their own devices, they're going to turn out a lot more on the side of the spectrum that Ethan is on than the side of the spectrum that that kid getting off the bus at 5.30 in the evening is on where he's just like, he can't believe he has to get up tomorrow and do it all again, probably. Do you think that's why, I mean, most people who graduate college don't do anything with their major. And I know I didn't, and most kids graduate high school without like a clear direction of where they want to go because they really haven't had the opportunity or time to kind of explore exactly what they're interested in and and what they want to do. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that. Well, there's so much pressure on kids and so I I grew up homeschooled um first through 12th grade and I felt the pressure as somebody outside of the college or the education system to be on a college track because I was like book smart. I was good at academics. And so everybody just assumed that I was going to be college bound. And I did, too, because I didn't know any better. Like I hadn't thought through like my family had thought through bypassing the system for like elementary and secondary education. We hadn't thought about it yet for post-secondary. And the pressure is real. It's it's intense. It's like you got it. You're going to mess up your life irreparably. If you don't go to college, I felt so much of that. Like I worked, my first job was working on a vegetable farm and orchard. And I was the only person there who was in their teens and who didn't have a college degree. And all of my coworkers were like, you're going to ruin your life if you don't go to college. And I was like, I am working the same job as you. I don't understand what you're talking about. They're like The college experience, you have to have it. It's going to blow your mind. The thing I found from, um, <laughs> from the, homes, the homeschool circles that I've been exposed to is that most of the kids graduate high school and go into college with. 70 credit hours for college already like it's a foregone conclusion that a homeschool kid's even going to go to that they're going to go to college like uh so do you do you advocate that as kind of like the destination or are you like i I didn't get my college degree either i'm like you i got 
I figured out what I wanted to do and I maximized my efficiencies immediately and here I am. But um, I, I guess, is that a flaw in, in the homeschool world is that college is the end all be all. We want you to be a white collar worker. I want to use precise words to say exactly what I mean about this because my thoughts are kind of complicated. Like on a personal level, I'm pretty anti-college. Um, like I think it's great for some people and the idea of what it could be is amazing, but it's generally speaking a complete waste of time for most people and the way people go about it where you just sort of, you don't think about it, you just kind of pick a major, you take a, a test at the guidance counselor's office, they say you'll be good at working with kids so you go take the teacher track and then in your junior or senior year you start working in classrooms and you're like oh my gosh i hate this and then you end up working at starbucks um like that path is ridiculous and the fact that we push people into it is is obscene but i also think like it's not just that that's a, a, a poor outcome but it's also it's like so much of k-12 through education is predicated on the assumption that kids are going to go to college and therefore they must be college ready by the time they get out of high school which is very different from being life ready being college ready is about having checked all the boxes having a nice transcript making sure you have enough extracurriculars on your portfolio so that a college thinks that you're a go-getter and being life ready means you know how to go get a job when you graduate from high school and you know how to work in a job and you know how to be valuable in the real world and you know how to navigate the types of real world situations that you're going to be navigating as an adult. It's a very, very different game. And so when you strip away the college assumption, you can kind of go back to a different sort of first principles thinking about everything else instead of going to the drawing board and saying, okay, I want my kid to get into the best school. So what do we have to do? Like, let's scrap everything that traditional school does. What do we have to do to make sure that my kid is going to be an appealing candidate to all the colleges I want them to get into? Instead, you can come back to the drawing board and say, okay, I want my kid to be ready to go be a full, fully fledged, independent, self-sufficient adult when they turn 18. And I want them to know how to make money, how to support themselves, how to navigate the real world. What does my child need to learn between the ages of six and 18 in order to end up there? And that's a very different conversation. And it opens up all kinds of possibilities for like what you're actually teaching your kids when the college assumption gets scrapped. So like, yeah, I think that like college isn't going away and like public school isn't going away either. But I do think that like people need to think a lot more critically than they do about like why they think their kids need to go to college because it just opens up so many more possibilities. We're wasting so many kids' time on things that they don't actually need for the life outcomes that they're chasing. So what what how would you design it then? I mean, it's probably <laughs> different for every family, but if you're if you're starting with those first principles and you're thinking about how to build the education of you know, my kids where we're at the beginning, how do you, how do you do like a self-assessment or what is there a workbook or an app or some way to kind of guide you through those things? Because I'm just like, well, it's reading, writing and arithmetic because that's the mm -hmm. mode that I was educated in. And that's the way that I still think is I got to memorize all these facts as opposed to the function of learning the facts. Um, so how would you kind of think that through? Give uh, give us uh, public school kids some advice. Yeah, I'm I'm going to give you a couple answers that sound like cop out answers first, and then I'm actually going to delve into the meat of this. Um, the cop out sound, sounding answers that one, there is no one size fits all model, 
And that's part of what's flawed about how we approach education in, I mean, really globally, but especially in America, is we think that there's one system that everyone's going to fit into, and it's just not true. So there's a lot of different answers to this question, which is part of why I'm so excited that there are so many different alternative models emerging that people can go try, because that's a much truer version of education in terms of like actually serving the needs of the kids that we're trying to raise. Um, but in terms of figuring out, so I think the the there actually is a lot to be said for the reading, writing, arithmetic side of things. Like those are the basics or the fundamentals. They apply to everything else. And so you, you need to understand them to navigate the world. Um, but they're the basics for a reason because they apply to everything. So you can learn them via everything. You don't have to sit down and do math worksheets to master the basics of arithmetic. You can learn it out in the real world too. You can go to the grocery store with your mom and she can have you tally up the groceries in the shopping cart. She'd be like, okay, we're buying a hundred dollars worth of groceries. Let's make sure that everything like we're staying underneath this total. And your kid's going to learn math real fast. Cause they're like, well, I want the cocoa puffs. And it's like, well, are we under budget? Can we get the cocoa puffs? Um, that's a very interesting problem for a kid. Um, are they going to get really interested in history? And then they're going to like, want to be able to calculate like different dates and the sizes of like different armies and different battles and all of this stuff. And like, it, it, whatever captivates their attention, you can use to teach this basic stuff. And I think that the attention component is really important because like we're, we're very unique and complex creatures as individuals. And the school system really doesn't even acknowledge that, let alone appreciate it. But there's a lot of individual approach that you can lean into with a kid's education, especially when they're young. Like, let them chase what they're curious about. If you fill a room with things that you're totally okay with your kid doing, you've got craft supplies, you've got art supplies, you've got blocks and Legos for them to play with, you've got like the, the materials around for them to explore and then you just let them loose to go explore these things and see what they want to do. You're going to notice very quickly that they have interests and they have um, just sort of like things that innately captivate their attention. And and you notice this with kids at, at a very young age too. Like really small kids are obsessed with trucks or they're obsessed with cars or they're obsessed with dinosaurs or whatever. Um and as they get older, those interests evolve more and more. Like your nephews or your your brother-in-law rather is really interested in in history. Um, other kids are really obsessed with health, or they're really obsessed with fitness, or they're really obsessed with um, I don't know, fashion. And when you let those interests kind of drive the education and then you build the the rest of the education around it, you start to notice pretty quickly that a lot of these things are like a lot of the things that they would have to know to be good at whatever they're interested in get picked up along the way because it's necessary to advance in this thing. And they're innately motivated to advance at this thing because they're fascinated by it. Um, like I was talking to a high schooler over the weekend who is super interested in nutrition and like he doesn't really care about like, you know, history and whatever, but he knows a lot about biology because he's fascinated by how the the nutrients that he's consuming are like actually affecting his body and he's like really interested in anatomy and physiology and like all of these things like he's probably going to grow up to be a nutritionist like most likely and so his education is being very tailored around these things that he's interested in and i think that's a much more natural way to educate kids and i think in most cases 
<laughs> excuse me, um, in most cases that works really well as a foundation for, for teaching them. So it's not necessarily like, I, I think there's one prescriptive way to, to do it where it's like, here's the quiz, go have them f- fill it out. And then that will tell you what specifically to teach them. But especially when they're young, like everything that kids learn in elementary school, they get 100% catch up on in like a year of mornings. They don't even need a year of full-time school. They need a year of working on it in the morning and they will catch up on all the elementary school math, all the elementary school reading, and if you just let them go explore things, they're going to pick up most of that stuff naturally anyway. But they're also going to have a sense of purpose that most kids in public school lack because they know what they want to learn more about. And they understand how these things that they're picking up along the way fit in with the things they're passionate about. And that's really, really critical for their ability to develop not just their kind of like raw academic skill set, but also their ability to learn more things which is a really critical life skill. I don't know how, how helpful that answer sounds, though. We, no, I think, more I, I mean, you. Do, so you're not dismissing like the classically liberal education of no. understanding the full spectrum of human knowledge and STEM and, you know, art and physical ed and, and all the different subjects, right, that, that, are, that are important. You're just saying you still have, you keep an eye on that stuff. You just don't devote their whole day to it. Because you're trying to get your smart kid to learn at the same pace as the less smart kid. Exactly. Okay. So, you know, you have a free PDF on your website that uh, I looked over that I glanced at that I'm pulling up, which is why I'm stalling here. Uh, (laughs) Change the way you educate your kids. And it's a guide. Can you talk about the guide? But, you know, then focus on the alternative schools because I've never heard of these 11 schools that – you've really like written out in this PDF. Oh, that's just the tip of the iceberg too. Um, so, so the PDF is just a starting point for people when they, like when they find rebel educator and they want, you know, like where, where do I start with this whole alternative education thing? Um, it's just intended to be a jumping off point. We have a lot more content that fleshes out all of these things that we talk about in the guide on the blog. Um, but like, if you're just looking for like a quick, quick cheat sheet, I'm like, okay, what's, what's going on here? Where do I start? That's, that's where I would send you. Um, but to your question about the schools, there are uh, there are so many different options out there for for kids who aren't happy in in public school or who want something other than. There are so many people who are building really amazing alternatives. And this, like I said, this is just the tip of the iceberg. There's a whole bunch of others that I've been watching that aren't even mentioned on this list. Um but these schools are a range of everything from online schools to in-person schools to micro schools. Um, Prenda, which is on that list, is a is a program that's based out of Arizona. They're in five states currently. They're working on expanding, but they are a a, a state funded micro school, which means that they um, like they have they use state funding to pay for their, the kids education in this micro school. And like a parent or a teacher will start a micro school, usually in like somebody's living room and we'll have like eight to 10 neighborhood kids in the school. And these kids will like show up every day. The parent will work off of the Prenda curriculum to teach them. Um, and the state funding goes to like paying the teacher a full-time salary and then supporting like the Prenda program as a whole. It's a really interesting model to make these like little community schools, kind of like the one room schoolhouse idea, but for the 21st century accessible to people 
who couldn't otherwise afford an alternative school. And then there's like online programs that are super part-time like Synthesis. Um, there's online programs that are full-time schools like Sora Schools, which is an online middle and high school that's like super project-based um, for kids around in U.S. time zones, but all over the world. Um, there's a school called on that list called Cubrio. Uh, actually, it's called Galileo in that list, but they just changed their name to Cubrio. Um, they're a, a world school. So they have like all their classes are divided into three time zones. So they've got Asian time, European time and American time. And kids can join whatever time zone they want so they can make friends all over the world. And they can take classes in like poetry and drama and art and math and whatever they're interested in. So there's a lot of really innovative models that are emerging that I think I think the next few years, I think we're really at a turning point in in how people think about education and what's out there. And I think the next few years are going to see a proliferation of this stuff. I think what even even the types of options that we're seeing now, I think it's just the tip of the iceberg of, of what's going to start emerging. So this show's 10 years old, if you can believe it. And I've long said that the that the internet has broken apart every industry and changed every industry. Everything I do for a living did not exist when I graduated high school. I'm old. Uh, but the internet had not yet broken apart government and education. And the pandemic seemed to break the back of both, but specifically education. Uh, and it really feels like we are now at a rapid shift towards people taking back their kids' education. Um, I'm not necessarily on the uh, the anti-CRT train or, or the pro-CRT train, but I do think that there's a usefulness to that whole conversation that gets people to think, oh, I can be in charge. I am yeah. in charge. And these people are telling me that I'm not in charge of my kids. Okay, let me, you know, uh, flip you the bird and do something different. Uh, <laughs> so let's start with the just the last three years and the, what you've seen as somebody that has followed this space. Because I've seen it in my feed, but I don't follow it. And I don't know what it was necessarily like before in the same way. So can you talk about the the degree to which the pandemic has changed education and what parents are saying to you? Yeah, I think it's it's changed so much. Um I think it accelerated the the shift in education that was probably bound to happen anyway, but hadn't really picked up momentum like I would estimate by 10 years. Um it 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 really accelerated this process of the 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 decline and fall of the public school system. Um, and I say fall loosely because like it's not going anywhere anytime soon. But as the reigning monopoly and the monarch of the entire education system as we know it, uh, it's declining in that position very rapidly. Like it's estimated that there are eleven percent of American kids are being homeschooled this year, which is just out of this world, unprecedented, can't even imagine, like, couldn't have imagined that when I was growing up homeschooled in the early 2000s, and it was like, people looked at you kind of funny. Yeah, what was, <laughs> it, was, what was it, like, maybe 10 years ago? Um, I should know the statistic off the top of my head, and I don't remember, far less than that, like, maybe 1% to 2%. So my, my wife started the Indiana Homeschool Prom like 13 years ago. Love that. It's it's fantastic. Uh, and the organization we're going to get involved with does the homeschool graduation. So we're going to kind of work together. And they have just seen like explosive growth because in the last two years, 
I mean, they, yeah. they had to go to a bigger venue this year because it's just, they, her parents knew all the other homeschool families in the state. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like the libertarian <laughs> podcast space. I could fit those on a single blog post and keep track of those. You can't now because the libertarian movement has grown beyond uh, any any networking ability. Um, yeah. I think ultimately that's that's a really positive thing, but anytime you try to leave a monopoly and it's state-run, they're going to start clamping down legally. I mean, are we they seeing are. that already? They they are. Well, they will. Um, I actually think the legal side's in our favor, too. So I think to go back to your question about the past three years and what what the pandemic did to education, it just like forced everybody out of their comfort zone. Like people thought that having your kids home all day was weird and then everybody had to do it for a year or more. And the Overton window just completely shifted around what is not even what is acceptable, but like what is comprehensible in in terms of what you do with your kids. Like online school suddenly became not such a weird foreign concept. Like you can tell your your family that you have your kids home all day and they have a frame of reference for that. But also people had Zoom school in their living rooms and at their kitchen tables and they were watching this going, what on earth is going on in the classroom? Like this is terrible. And people had never seen it before. Like you just, there's this sort of uh, like ingrained trust where like everybody just drops their kid off at school at, for the day. And it's a benevolent, benign institution where they're just going to help your kids become adults and then people saw what was actually happening they're like wait a minute not even the crt stuff but just the fact that like this is like boring and a huge waste of time and there's like a lot of inanity going on and and some of that you know it's not the teacher's fault they're in a system that isn't really designed to be their friend it's designed to to make the the whole process easier on the bureaucrats even even here in indiana with the great mitch daniels uh praise be his name and Tony Bennett, when they reformed education to allow for a lot more school choice, this is a city where the Democrats introduced charter schools. Um, the biggest nonprofits devoted to school choice are here, um, including the Friedman Foundation. That is what most teachers in Indiana cite as what broke the state education system, because now the bureaucrats that were pro-school choice have... For Like, I don't know, just I feel bad for teachers. Like, I never have argued for school choice because I don't like teachers, even though teachers think that's that's what I'm saying. But like, they're not teaching kids. They're teaching what somebody else has decided they ought to teach. It's like doctors are just going off of a roadmap that their hospital system gave them instead of keeping up with their skills. Like, it's insane to me. It is. And there's a really big... um outflux of teachers who are leaving the public school system and like i mean the fact that it's 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 incredibly hard and and becoming increasingly hard for for schools to fill their their teaching vacancies because people don't want to be there anymore but i've I've spoken to numerous former school teachers who've gone on to start micro schools and self-directed learning centers and things like that in their in their communities it has actually somebody in um i believe in indiana who's building a really great self-directed learning center in his in his region, he left um, the public school system and was just like, I can't do this anymore. And he started recruiting a bunch of local families and he got a space. And now kids come every day and they like work on their projects and stuff. And it's, it's kind of like unschooling. But like you have a place to send your kids for the day. It's pretty cool. Um, but there's like, I think 
it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next few years, because right now the, the tide is very in school choice favor. Like we're seeing, I mean, what happened in Arizona, I think is going to be a complete game changer because everybody's watching what's happening in Arizona now. And when the outcomes start to shift and they inevitably will, because kids are just going to be, they're going to be getting more attention. They're going to be happier. They're going to care more about what they're learning about because they're in a school environment that again, you're not like sitting between four cinder block walls under fluorescent lighting, which is about the most uninspiring place you could possibly spend eight hours a day. Can you explain um, what happened in Arizona? Yeah. So there's um, the basically they 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 passed um, they passed a law that that uh, that um, opened up ESA programs, which is education saving account. So basically, what it means is that. Like in most states and in Arizona previously and prior to the summer, kid, like whatever school district you were in, the state allocated funding. And I think the amount in Arizona is like $7,000 or $7,500 to that district per student. And so no matter where you went to school, whether you were going to a private school or you were being homeschooled, that state funding was locked into your public school. So wherever your district was. Um, and what this ESA program does is now this state funding is is not tied to the local schools. It's it's accessible to the student. So the student can take that school and use or take that money and use it as their tuition to a, a micro school like Prenda. Or they can be homeschooled and that $7,000 can go to buying classes and materials and resources to supplement that homeschool experience. Um, Which sidebar, homeschooling doesn't have to be expensive. You can do it basically for free or for the cost of paper and pencils. But if it's cool to be able to spend that money on a whole bunch of supplemental things if you have access to it. Uh, They could use it to pay tuition for an online school like Sora. Um, It's it's opening up access to all sorts of things and, and, and there's already a huge shift away from public schools and into everything from charter to more innovative alternatives happening in Arizona. But like everybody's watching that now and a lot of other people in other States really want it. And we're seeing it shifting like in this past election. um, It was like, there were a couple of the democratic candidates in the Northeast who ended up winning in like the last week of campaigning, they they pivoted their stance on education issues because they knew that was a, a, a hot ticket issue that people really cared about. Like we saw, you know, in Virginia um, in, in their last election, like clearly like things were definitely being shifted on education issues and people are picking up on that in Pennsylvania. Um, Josh Shapiro was uh, very anti-school choice and he backtracked on a lot of those positions in in the last days of the election because he knew that he was going to alienate a lot of parents if he wasn't saying things about like, hey, I'm going to support the school choice that already exists in the state and tr- instead of trying to shut it down. But, you know, it's like baby steps forward. But people know that people care, like if people are working really hard in Texas to pass school choice legislation it'll probably be. It'll probably be a couple cycles before it actually passes, but people are trying. There's yeah. a really big push. My sister and my wife are both not teachers that are no longer teaching. Um, and my sister, my parents never lived in Indianapolis because they were not going to send us to IPS. Uh, my sister is a stay-at-home mom. She did not like homeschooling when the kids were basically uh, through the pandemic era, but she sends her kids to an alternative school that is 
it's it's not a charter school. It's a magnet school that is like a charter school within IPS, Indianapolis Public School System. Got it. And you know what we found in Indianapolis is that this very liberal core of the city loves school choice. And they love the ability to have some oversight. Uh, and my sister loves sending her kids to a better school. And by introducing charter schools, IPS then had to introduce the magnet schools because they were worried they were going to start losing a lot of people. So they had to start competing. And it completely turned the educational standards of the state's largest school system around completely. And I, I just don't know how you can't find that kind of outcome over and over and over if we continue to sort into red and blue states where a city like Indianapolis that focuses on school choice and has better educational outcomes than California and New York, how how it doesn't eventually get reformed to be something totally different. Um, so I, I, I want to be respectful of your time. I could talk to you for probably two more hours. Uh, so I'm, I definitely want to have you back. If... If you were uh, in the shoes of a parent who is on the fence, and let let me ask the social question, okay? Maybe yeah. maybe we'll end on this because there's there's two parts to this. There's the will my kids be weird? Um, and you know, Yana last night she's 18 and in college she goes, the homeschool kids are way more normal than all the public school kids. And I go, that was not the case back in my day. If you were homeschooled, you were the weirdo. No offense, Hannah. Um, uh, it was always like the the vibe. But, um, you know, oh, my kid's not going to be able to have all these social experiences. How will they have friends? But then, you know, on Leaders and Legends, we just did a podcast about Rex Early and the former state Democratic chairman took a dig at homeschooling and saying that it was destroying the fabric of society because people with differences aren't connecting in schools. And, okay, I kind of get that, but uh, what is the long-term consequences for the social cohesion if we start to do more of this educational choice and people fracture more? Because the last place where everybody comes together is public schools. And secondly, will your kids have friends? Maybe that's an easier one to start with. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the answer to both of those goes hand in hand. And I think the the socialization argument always cracks me up. And I get a lot of like, I'll I'll make tweets, I'll, I'll post tweets about this once in a while and get it, it's always a very controversial topic. And it's very funny to me that it is like still even now with so many homeschool graduates, it's like you you don't realize like there are homeschool graduates like around us right now they walk amongst us probably one there like you don't even know um and that's the whole point um but i think it's also like totally fair to ask the question compared to what because your kid gonna be normal compared to what like do you even want them to be normal sometimes when you're looking at like what 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 kids are being like what what's what's in vogue and the the trends and the whims of their anxious all the time like being exalting anxiety as a personality trait just as an example yeah like what what do you want your kids like you gotta take a hard look at normal too and ask yourself if that's really actually what you want if you what you want to be like but also if that's what you want your kids to be like but i think you know like public school Public school, and, and we could talk about this from through the lens of government for a long time too, but like 
public school has this false monopoly where people think that it has a monopoly on education and on socialization and on bringing people together and all these different things. And it really doesn't like the whole thing is held together mostly because it's a system that's been grandfathered in. And also because it's really convenient because parents need childcare. They like, they need something to do with their kids all day if they're both going to work in a physical job, which is another reason why I'm really bullish on school choice is because remote work is really opening up. And so like parents have more freedom now to be home, making sure that they're there if their kids need something all day. Um, but like public school isn't the only place that kids can learn. And it's not the only place that kids can learn how to interact with other humans. Like being homeschooled doesn't mean that you sit in a closet all day and you never interact with another human ever. Like most homeschoolers are actually better socialized because they're not just interacting with kids who were born in the same calendar year as they were. So they're going out into the real world and they're interacting with other adults and they're having like, you know, business transactions and, and logistical transactions. And they're learning how to, how to order what they want at the coffee shop. Cause their mom sent them to like run in and they're there at like 10 o'clock on a Tuesday. They're not in school. They're like learning how to count change and how to, you know, like how uh, converse with adults. And that's really powerful. And kids can learn a lot from that. And I think like, I, I don't think that there's going to be this great siloing that occurs if kids are, not in public school anymore because like honestly I I think there's less of that because when you think about it like yeah you have kids from different socioeconomic backgrounds and different cultural backgrounds and stuff but they're all still bound by geography it's like all the kids that grew up in this town are all going to school together and that's not really that diverse of a, a range of types of interactions to be having when you think about something like the world school that I mentioned where you can have your kid can be taking a poetry class with a kid in Indonesia and a kid in Poland and then, so like, you're saying take- me and the other 15 white kids on my block that are all exactly the same in interest in suburban <laughs> Plainfield are like, yeah, I mean, I, I've experienced that. Like, you know, I do a podcast called The Pat Down with uh, Miss Pat, who grew up in inner city Atlanta and had never been around white people till she moved to Plainfield, Indiana, where I was from. And surprise, I'd never been around black people. So it's like this cultural, like, conversation trying to, you know, but. The way that I grew up in this siloed world of kids who are all exactly like me, thought about me, like there's an ex- that Overton window that you talked about, it wasn't real diversity. I mean, I didn't get yeah. real diversity as a kid until I went to college. And, you know, I, I don't think that I'm better for it. And, and I think you see the, the uh, lack of uh, interracial interaction playing out in, in, in how some people talk. So... Yeah, I yeah mean, and that's oh go ahead yeah, yeah but I, I i think that and that kind of lends itself to that larger social cohesion point i think you're exactly right like if you are a family that can go to the food bank at noon on wednesday and interact with people that are not like you because your kids aren't in school that is inherently good for them it's powerful for everybody and it's not just limited to geographic proximity either because the internet opens up everything like you can you can you know like have a, some niche interest and be reading a blog from somebody who lives in India who shares that niche interest and you can send them an email and you can like get to know them. And that's, that's really powerful and bringing some of that into, into the, like the average of education of a kid, it opens up so many possibilities. Like, yes, there will always be some people who are like ideologically siloed and regionally siloed, but again, compared to what, like we already have that. It's not going to be any worse because kids aren't in public school, but there's the potential for it to be so much better. And I think that's really exciting. And I think that that's 
I think that's something that like the people who are really afraid of of change in this arena just don't there's so much potential there that's not getting talked about all right hannah shameless self-promotion time where can people find more and get more information uh i'm very active on twitter so you can find me there my personal twitter is just at hannah frankman um you can also find me on the rebel educator twitter account at rebel educator which is where i'm more active but i I check both many times a day so if you want to shoot me a dm you totally can um, check out the Rebel Educator website, rebeleducator.co. And if you want us to come to you instead of you coming to us, you can also sign up for our newsletter, which is rebeleducator.substack.com. Uh, we post newsletters every Tuesday full of information on like breaking paradigms around how we're thinking about educating kids. And then we're about to release a podcast too. So watch for that on. We'll be sharing that everywhere, Twitter, newsletter, website. So keep an eye out for that. Um, I think that's it. That's if you start there, you'll be able to find everything else I have from there. So that's the best jumping off point. All right. Thank you, Hannah, so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. This was a great conversation. Thank you so much, listeners, for joining us here. If you got something out of this, then as always, please share this with your friends and family. And we thank you for joining us here on The Chris Spangle Show. Before we start, I want to thank all of the Weird Libertarians patrons for being a part of the show. You can find out all of the benefits of subscribing on Patreon at joinwallplus.com. That's W-A-L-plus.com. You'll get bonus content, access to the complete archives. There's over a thousand shows that you can't get in the public feed, and you'll be supporting all of our great shows. Thank you especially to our $100 a month members, John Pusillo, Vincent Peichel, Lars Nordskog, Jake Edel, Matthew Durbin, Reinhold, Christy Avery, and Jason Doolittle. We also want to thank our main sponsor for this episode. Uh, it is Iconic Insurance. 15% of Americans are left to find health insurance on their own. And even if you get health insurance from your employer that doesn't work for you, Matt Allen and Iconic Insurance can help you find the right insurance. Just head over right now and contact him at iconic-insurance.com slash libertarians. We'll put the link in the description if you can't remember that. But Matt is a longtime listener of this program and a great guy and a good friend of mine. So please go support him and reach out right now. Thank you. And now let's get started with our show.